0: Today I'll be chatting with Dr. Gabrielle Fandaro about diet culture, weight stigma, healthism, and the health at every size movement. Whether or not these concepts are familiar or new to you, I assure you that you're in for some great food for thought. Our conversation focuses on bridging the gap between two camps. One camp prioritizes the pursuit of physical health and weight loss, sometimes with a hint of moral obligation. Another camp advocates for weight neutral approaches and greater recognition of the harmful consequences of diet culture. Dr. Fundaro brings a wonderful blend of science and compassion to the conversation that I hope you enjoy as much as I do. This episode is part one of a two-part conversation. In the next piece, we discuss weight neutral dietary approaches, including intuitive eating. Dr. Gabrielle Fondaro holds a PhD in nutrition, foods, and exercise from Virginia Tech and is a certified health and nutrition coach. You can follow her on social at vitaminphd and find out more about her coaching and her latest research on her website, vitaminphdnutrition.com. Let's dig in. Welcome to Get Real Health. I'm your host, Dr. Chana Davis. This show cuts through the noise to give you science-based insights from real experts so that you can make smart, healthy choices. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fandaro. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So we have about a million different topics I want to get into. Um, So... Just to be clear, my goal really is to work together to just whet people's appetite and plant some seeds to learn more, to kind of probe internally on your own biases and assumptions. Um, So there's no intent to try and do justice to any of these many things we're going to get into. But So just to throw out some of the terms, and I honestly don't know quite where to begin, but I want to touch on um, diet culture, anti-diet culture health at every size movement, and healthism. So I know you've written and thought a lot about all of these topics. Uh, where do you suggest beginning? And just, sorry, one more thing before I turn it over. Um, a lot of my audience, like like myself, are pretty naive about these things. Like I talked to my husband mm-hmm. last night, never heard of the word healthism. So I know yeah. that you're in the industry. And so a lot of people in your world, this is not that new, but for for many mm-hmm. people, we just need some different definitions maybe to get us started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, actually, I think healthism is probably
1: a lesser known term, um, even within the fitness industry. There are quite a few people who were unfamiliar with it or um, may have had some um, misconceptions or misunderstandings about what it actually means. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, interestingly, the primary piece of literature that people refer to um, was a heuristic essay. So that means that the author was writing about it to learn about it. And that's now one of my favorite words <laughs> because I think that's what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so it was um, coined in uh, about the 1970s. Uh, Irving Zola was the first person to use it. And then Crawford was the, um, the, the author who I think kind of operationalized it a little bit more and took a different perspective. And um, in the most basic sense, healthism would be the moralization of the pursuit and attainment of health. Mm -hmm. So in other words, in order to be considered a good person, you have to be considered by society to be a healthy person. Mm -hmm. And people are expected to pursue health um, regardless of the obstacles that might make it challenging for them. So his perspective was that while um, some aspects of healthism aren't necessarily harmful, like individual responsibility. If we use it as a surrogate for shared responsibility or for institutional change, it could potentially be harmful. Or if we use it in an oppressive way, uh, assuming that everyone needs to fit a specific definition of health, that that could also be harmful.
0: That is that is a lot to just even, it's, it's so natural to take for granted the idea that we should pursue health. It really is mm-hmm. quite, um, mind-blowing, I suppose, to just contemplate, wait, is that really, um, is it, so many decisions in life are a trade-off, right? And so is that always going to outweigh everything else is kind of one of the ways I've started to think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And even how we define health, because there are so many different facets. Mm -hmm. And um, I was on a podcast recently um, with Ben Coomer and Tom Bainbridge, and they did a part one on healthism, and they actually Mm -hmm. talked about health Um, as being quite subjective, and it really is a values judgment. Uh, One of the best quotes that I can think of is by Kurt Vonnegut, and he said, um, we are only as healthy as our ideas are humane. Hmm. So I think that that gives kind of a different perspective because often we're thinking about health um, in physical terms, in tangible terms. You know, Mm -hmm. what's my blood pressure? What do my blood lipids look like? Um, But is a person who has you know, excellent cardiometabolic health, um, but is going out and stabbing people, uh, is that a healthy person, mm. <laughs> you know? Um, so so we look at it in terms of, you know, a set of behaviors, and we sort of evaluate mm-hmm. people's health based on what they're doing, but sometimes we might also evaluate or assume their health based on their appearance, um, yeah. and certainly, you know, that can be problematic and harmful.
0: Mm-hmm and one of the other the layers to the conversation is is of course the weight loss uh, you know debate and the whole the whole complex i guess relationship between body weight and um, body weight and health. Yeah, I really got the my wheels turning on this a dietitian that i really respect Dr. Pamela Ferguson. She sees a lot of people who want to lose weight, but she started mm-hmm. to want to back off of that in her practice because she sees it as in her own words, it often does more harm than good. And at mm-hmm. first I couldn't understand what she meant, but then I've explored that. And I think I, I really understand where she's starting to understand where she's coming from, although I haven't done mm-hmm. personal coaching. So I think for those that coach people, you really see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's um, part of how my perspective has shifted as well. You know, I think that it's not a, an extremist type of statement to say not all forms of weight loss are safe or healthy. Most people can get on board with that. Um, and I think that most people can get on board with the fact that we can say you know, we don't need to lose weight to improve our health. Mm-hmm. Maybe fewer people can get on board with that. <laughs> um, but I think where we start to see more um, d- derision and more just arguing and contention is when we're talking about the pros and cons of intentional weight loss in certain populations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And quite often, I think we lose the context, even when we're talking about the statistics of of intentional weight loss and long-term weight loss management. It's really important to talk about, um, you know, what we mean when we say something like diets don't work or, um, you know, intentional weight loss doesn't work. uh, And we need to talk, we need to think about who were uh, who we have in mind when we're saying things like that and what sort mm-hmm. of dietary practices we're thinking of when we, when we say things like that. Um, no group and no, uh, and, and diets as well, you know, these. it's not monolith. It's not that like all diets look exactly the same um, or that all weight loss maintenance looks exactly the same. So I think kind of paring down into the details and the real meaning behind those phrases might help us, Um, have more productive conversations Mm -hmm. rather than taking these really kind of polarized stances Mm -hmm. uh, on, you know, things being always harmful or always beneficial. Um, And the root of that really, I think, is also recognizing when healthism manifests. And that's why I kind of like that we, you know, we started with that Mm -hmm. definition and I think it's a common thread, um, you know, in the debate about intentional weight loss, mm-hmm. and in the debate about um, whether people can be healthy at a, at a variety of body sizes, um, and and whether people are obligated to change it if they're not healthy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually recently interviewed um, Dr. Nicola Guess, who works in diabetes prevention and management, and one of the mm-hmm. themes that kept coming up was that the most effective dietary strategies tend to be the ones that cause you to lose weight. And in, in diabetes, there is a pretty direct link between Mm -hmm. excess body fat and, you know, your diabetes status. So somehow you have to reconcile that there's, it's not, there's some, there are in, for many populations, health benefits of weight loss, but should they pursue that is not a straightforward question, I guess. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it really gets to one of the, um, sort of nuanced details that I've picked up, uh, in watching these conversations and trying to Find that middle ground um, that it is true that when we look at the statistics on long-term weight loss maintenance that most individuals do not maintain a loss of more than about seven percent body weight so even if they lost 15 percent of their body mm-hmm. weight when we take it out to five years after that initial dieting phase they will have regained most of it and mm-hmm. we can say that probably happens in conservatively you know 80 percent of people
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but even that small percentage of body weight loss is still associated with improvements in cardiometabolic risk factors. Mm -hmm. So does long-term weight loss maintenance work in terms of just maintaining a large amount of body weight loss? Maybe not, but might we still get some uh, benefit out of intentional weight loss? Maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then we also have to look at how they got there. You know, and, and, and was that weight loss attained in a way that mitigates the risk of intentional weight loss? So was it done for health purposes and was it done with a focus on behaviors?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the other thing is, you know, there's a difference between um, telling someone to go on a diet to lose weight and helping someone make changes that may then result in weight loss. Mhm. The outcome yeah. is the same, right? <laughs> but how mm-hmm. do we how, like mm-hmm. what message are we sending? I think that matters as well. So, certainly we can say that there are risks associated with certain body sizes. And and health at every size doesn't posit that health is present at every size, but that every size individual, you know, the size of an individual shouldn't prevent them from pursuing uh, health or from see, or from engaging in health seeking behaviors it's just that we take intentional weight loss off as a focus because it's not a behavior that someone can change it's just an outcome and mm. instead we focus on the behaviors
0: yeah i like that distinction in fact a, a friend of mine who who is um has been on you know a weight roller coaster for a lot of her life uh, mm-hmm. said that her she's consulted with her physician recently after regaining some of the weight and and uh, he said this BMI focus is outdated and now we focus on healthy behaviors Yes
1: yeah exactly that that um, you know I think so the obesity paradox refers to um, findings in literature that would be counterintuitive that in some cases, individuals with a BMI that would place them in the uh, overweight or obese category actually have better health outcomes. And um, it probably indicates that BMI could be, you know, something of a screening tool on a population level, but when it comes to an individual, it's not a strong predictor of their actual health status because it doesn't account for things like body composition or their physical activity level or the length of time at which they have been in that specific category. And Mm -hmm. all of those factors play a role in the actual health status of a person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can both, we can say that both, you know, uh, a lifestyle change that could result in weight loss, uh, depending on how it's done, that could be beneficial for a person. Mm -hmm. And also that weight stigma uh, has very negative and detrimental effects on a person. Mm So those two things can exist, I think, in harmony. Um, but people are kind of arguing, I think, over, over a belief system that, um, isn't necessarily required, uh, when it comes to actually instituting those lifestyle changes, if that makes sense, you know, Mm -hmm. like whether, um, we tell a person to go on a diet or not, uh, they might want to change their lifestyle because it feels better. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, when, if we tell a person to go on a diet, or if we tell a person that their weight is a problem and makes them a less worthy or valuable person, Mm -hmm. that's always going to cause a problem. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, when we're kind of looking at the cost benefit ratio, what if we just said, Hey, it's maybe not useful to say this thing. Um, but if the outcome is, you know, if we can get the same like benefits, a person, you know, sees benefit from a lifestyle change, can we reduce the harm and just find ways to make the beneficial aspects more accessible to them? How mm-hmm. can we ensure that people have um, access to the resources that they need to support their health mm-hmm. and reduce the stigma that is damaging them?
0: Dr. Fandara, since we're referring to Health at Every Size and Haze throughout our conversation, can you give us a definition there?
1: Yes. So Haze stands for Health at Every Size. Mm -hmm. So it is both an approach to care and also a social justice movement that aims to increase access to and information about resources that support uh, well-being. And so, this uh, promotes change both at the individual level and also at the institutional level. So, we uh, inform individuals about the ways that they could support their well being and their health, and we provide them with the resources to do that and also the autonomy to decide not to do that if they don't want to. Mm-hmm. So, contrary to popular belief, um, it doesn't promote the idea that people are healthy at every size, but rather that they should not be. Uh, prevented from pursuing health at any size.
0: Mm -hmm. So what are some of the common biases that people hold and may not even recognize either about themselves or about others? Mm. I think there are a few
1: main beliefs um, that we've seen emerge since the early 1900s um, regarding individuals in large bodies. It really started um, with, the awareness kind of public awareness and public knowledge about the science of energy balance and calories. So prior to the early 1900s, people didn't know what a calorie was. They didn't know about energy balance and that there was a cause effect relationship between food intake and, um, and, and weight gain. Mm-hmm. And so they thought that it was maybe something that was, um, glandular, uh, and it was associated with, Um, higher socioeconomic status so uh, people who tended to have more money and have more abundance they were in larger bodies and that was the ideal at the time around world war one when food conservation was being promoted because we were sending our more energy dense foods overseas um, and that combined with the awareness of calories it gave birth to this idea that uh, having a large body was synonymous with food hoarding. And so people were seen as um, un-American if they were in a large body. They were seen as wasteful, um, as greedy, and that today were lacking self-control and willpower. And rather than being a sign of, um, of abundance, it was a sign of just failures of of the will. It was a failure to control oneself. So at a time when when values were changing in the United States, and there was a focus more on moralism and purity and self-control mm-hmm. and victory over the self, victory over the physical body, um, the, the perspective shifted and that no longer was the ideal. So
0: mm-hmm. the thin
1: ideal um, became more prominent and it actually lasted throughout the war and even throughout the Great Depression, um, Mm -hmm. because at that point, rather than um, kind of reverting to the the older ideals of abundance and being associated with a larger body, um, thinness was associated with higher socioeconomic status because people who were in um, the upper middle class and higher were kind of um, protected from food insecurity. And so they could um, sort of uh, just for fun manipulate their body size and so that's really most likely when those beliefs started to um, take hold in the United States Mm -hmm. Um, and today a lot of people still have those beliefs they still think that um, a person in a large body is a failed thin person Um, And that um, because of the way the healthcare system is set up, that they are using more of the healthcare resources, that there is a a large economic cost in Mm -hmm. um, caring for the Mm -hmm. uh, diseases associated with obesity. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, so then people have a sense of um, those individuals perhaps shirking their individual responsibility to pursue health and then everyone else has to pay for it. So I think those are kind of the main beliefs that people have that, that shape their biases.
0: I've also heard some people sort of pushing a little bit on this um, idea that the push to lose weight is is sort of veiled as a, an attempt to make someone healthier when really it's just mm-hmm. sort of protecting this thin ideal and using health as an excuse. Do you have, have thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Yeah.
1: Well what I find really interesting is that again it kind of comes down to a very specific version of health. So weight loss is and I've kind of I kind of made a joke about this that you know like a person thinks I want to improve my health and so they seek out a therapist they want to improve their mental health and society sort of says no not that kind of health I and mean, we mean the health we can see. You know, mm-hmm. we don't we're not that other kind of health doesn't matter. We want you to lose weight so we can see that you're um and so yeah i think you know when we even when we present it under the auspices of of, you know this is for health um how do you a actually know the health status of that person Mm -hmm. you're still sort of just assuming that you know what it is Mm -hmm. um based on their body size uh and b you know if you if, if you know that person personally and they have confided in you that I don't feel like my life is in a healthy place and there's a lack of balance and I wanna change these things. Then you might say, okay, well, what do you wanna change to help improve your health? Mm -hmm. Um, And they'll give you their perspective of what that would look like. But just looking at a person that you don't know and saying, I really do care about you and your health, even though I know nothing about it or you Mm -hmm. or the context of your life, but I'm betting that weight loss is the answer. I really, I think that that's a little bit insincere Mm-hmm. At the same time, I acknowledge that I think people are looking at the risks associated with uh, obesity and saying, "I um, and, and I've seen this and heard this from individuals too, that there is sort of a pre-sickness, and this is one aspect of healthism as well, that everyone is sort of um, pre-sick, we, we are a collection of risk factors. And once we sort of pass a threshold of an, an acceptable number of risk factors, then it's on us to reduce those risk factors. So I still think that that's sort of that same manifestation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even if we say that it's for that person's health, we're still making some assumptions about that person's yeah. health. Can we also do that while respecting a person's autonomy to yeah. not pursue health?
0: Yeah. I have I have to admit this is something I've been sort of processing a lot and just I feel like I have to as much as I hate to admit it, I I've, you know, bought into diet culture, hook, line, and sinker, and you know, it's taken me kind of forty years to now my forties to really question um the role that plays in my life and and mental wellness and um and the trade-offs you make. And when I see someone reject what appears to be rejecting that belief system, I I don't know what to make of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I I've I've um I've grappled with that too. I can tell when I'm reading things and I'll get a sense of like uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I can feel the doubt um without any evidence to the contrary of what I'm reading. I just know that like I have a set of beliefs and I'm okay with sitting with that feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, you know, that I don't need to necessarily believe everything that I'm reading, but I make sure to consume information that might be contrary to my current belief system. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, foundationally, seek out evidence based, peer reviewed high quality evidence looking at systematic reviews and Mm meta-analyses so i can get a better understanding um of you know the reason of the references the statistics that people are referring Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. but i think that that's a very normal experience Um, and it is also i think maybe threatening to some people who worry that um acknowledging the limitations of intentional weight loss might do harm to the fitness industry mm-hmm. because, you know, to some extent, um, we have been selling the pursuit of this ideal, mm-hmm. and we've been selling, um, you know, some aspects of diet culture. Now, diet culture in itself really isn't isn't uh, monolith either. It's not that you know everyone is part of this one thing and we all do things the same way. Mm-hmm. Diet culture is uh, not very well defined. And there are some and i think it exists on a spectrum too so mm-hmm. we have sort of the extremes of bad diets and really harmful marketing where we say like you know no excuses uh, you gotta want it bad enough and right. you know right in a large body who's on healthy you know bad diets um so most people can get on board with like, yeah that's that's not helpful that's like mm-hmm. super bad anybody wants that around but then on the other end of the spectrum we have just just you know what people might call lifestyle change, mm-hmm. which is labeled diet culture by some. Um, you know it's kind of a diet in disguise. Mm-hmm. So a lifestyle change might look like changing your phys- physical activity habits yeah. and changing your dietary pattern. You mm-hmm. know, and then the weight loss occurs. You know, and and so I think a lot of people might say, well, I you know I, I don't know what's wrong with that. And I think that's a good question. I'm not saying that I know what's wrong with that, mm-hmm. but just saying that you know we need to make space for these various opinions and perspectives and try to see, you know, where we can find some middle ground. Mm -hmm. Because in most cases, people are looking at the central tenets of health at every size and just its movement to increase access to resources that support well-being. A lot of people are on board with that. Mm -hmm. Where we see the the friction is when we're having discussions about whether obesity can be, whether, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and then we lose sight of the, the whole rest of the movement and just focus on this one topic and have mm-hmm. all these ner- 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 arguments about it and mm-hmm. then people are less likely to seek out information associated with those perspectives so intuitive eating is a haze aligned approach but intuitive eating is not the same thing as haze for yeah. yeah you know so that's just one example they two.
0: yeah so to wrap things up, I wanted to leave people with some, some advice and some resources to learn more. Because as I said, this is really just scratching the surface. So um, yeah. in terms of, there's, I'm sure there's a world of resources, but the, your website is awesome. And, and any other resources that, that you tend to tap into yourself when you're trying to learn about these topics? Yeah. Um, I have, there's
1: a few textbooks that I think have been super helpful. What really got me started on this was modern food, moral food by bite. So it's actually a mm. food anthropology textbook mm. and it takes a, whole, a historical perspective of calorie counting. So there's also weighing in by mm-hmm. Julie Guthman. Um, and she takes sort of a socioeconomic perspective about, um, obesity and people's beliefs about it. And it's, mm. um, potential economic impacts and also mm-hmm. impacts of stigma on individuals. Um, there's Paradox of Plenty uh, by Levenstein. So that actually picks up where modern food, moral food left off, um, mm-hmm. looking at uh, depression era dieting all, through, all the way through about mm-hmm. the 1990s. Um, if you want to gain some perspective on sort of the history of dieting culture, you can actually find some interesting, really old diet books online, like PDF mm-hmm. version. So um, one that I found recently is called Diet and Die by Carl Malmberg. It's probably mm. the first anti-diet book. It was written mm. in 1935, so mm. you can find that. Um, yeah, yeah, open access. Online. Yeah, it's really interesting. We're um, looking at um, there was there was a, another book that was written I think in 1918 um, called uh, uh, Reducing New Waistlines for Old. I think something like okay. that. So it's interesting to read those, and I think it's useful because we gain. Um, a, a, I think a greater uh, view, you know, kind of like a 360 view of where we are now and where yeah. we come from and, yeah. and how much we are ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so there are also some websites. So if people want to learn more about Hayes, they can go to um, the ASDA website. So it's the um, Association for Size, Diversity and Health. Um, and there's also the Hayes website, so Health at Every Size. Lindo Bacon wrote the book Health at Every Size, um, and they have both a master's and PhD um, in nutrition and exercise phys, which I think people are actually surprised to hear or may not be mm. aware of. Um, so, you know, and those are obviously going to take one one perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, there's
1: also uh, the book um, Anti Diet by Christy Harrison. So, those are mm-hmm. some of the um, main books in that area, but there mm-hmm. are other books. Might be interested in reading like fat so by miriam juan mm. um so that is a book that is a fat activist perspective okay of course you know i don't dissuade people from looking at the literature as well so if you go to the cdc and nih websites you can actually find um the data that i think people are pulling from when they're looking at long-term weight mm-hmm. loss maintenance um and then mm-hmm. kevin hall's study was sort of a landmark um, a study looking at that five-year um, window mm. of weight loss mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. encourage people to really you know, get a perspective of both sides. You don't mm-hmm. have to buy a book because you agree with it yeah. um, or because it confirms your biases, you know, but like just get the book, read it, see what you think about mm-hmm. it. If you don't agree with anything that it has to say, that's totally fine. And you don't need to change your mind mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in response. But I think it's just helpful to really have a better understanding of what another group might be saying yeah. and then see if we can, you know, create some shared meaning and understanding in that way.